Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Good morning, church. My wife gave me advice, because I want to be really chill today. Normally when I, when I preach, I'm very animated. I walk around a lot. She told me I should sit down. So I'm going to check out something real quick. If I can see all of your eyes, if I sit right here. I'm not saying I'm going to sit here the whole time. Just curious. Yeah, I can see all of you. Can you see me? Yeah? Thank you. Okay, sweet. Speaking of my wife, this is not a comedy show where, you know, hey, my wife, yeah, the other day. Um, my wife, my parents, my friends from my hometown of Honolulu, my friends in New York and New Jersey, a lot of them tell me, hey, Mitch, we know you went to Iraq, but you don't ever talk about it. You should talk about it more often. And I don't really know when to bring it up, except when I'm preaching in West Milford, where my wife and my parents and my friends from Honolulu and my friends in New York aren't here. So you guys are going to get this cool story that I thought I'd share with you that they've been begging to hear. So you guys are special, uh, privileged people. Do you guys know Fallujah? Do you guys know the city of Fallujah in Iraq? So if Iraq's um, cool city is Baghdad, its second coolest city is Fallujah. If Baghdad was New York City, then Fallujah would be the Los Angeles of Iraq. Maybe that's my opinion. Maybe you prefer Nashville and Memphis over New York City and Los Angeles, but I prefer those two major metropolises. And um, yeah, we were in Fallujah. I was in the US Army. And Fallujah, if you guys don't know about Fallujah, the Marines, when we go to war as a country, the Marines come in and they shoot everything that moves. And when they leave, the army comes in and shakes hands with all the survivors and says, hey, we'd like to build a relationship with you. Do you need a bridge? Did the Marines blow that up? We'll build a bridge for you. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, and we try and have relationships with whoever's there. One day, um, when the Marines decided to take Fallujah, they lost a lot of people. Now, anytime armies go to war with each other, or there's a war, people lose people, right? But the Marines lost so many people trying to take the city of Fallujah. They paid for that city with their blood, is the mentality that they would say. Like, they purchased that city with their blood. So for a US soldier to come over to want to get into their base, they weren't happy. They were very irritated that we wanted to drop some people off in Fallujah. So we waited outside. <laughs> they were like, we want to make sure you're not Iraqi citizens. And OK, cool. I mean, we have all the you know, uniforms and the high-tech weaponry and stuff like that, but whatever. We'll wait outside. And it was super hot, you guys. You guys know West Milford heat, right, with the humidity? It was like that, but just dry, desert heat. And there was a giant lizard that just ran by. I swear I saw a giant lizard. And I'm afraid of lizards, so I hope it doesn't come close to us. And I've always wanted to see a palm tree covered in sand. Yesterday there was a sandstorm. I wouldn't have seen that palm tree covered in sand if it wasn't for, you know, not being allowed to come into a marine base in Fallujah. And we've been waiting outside this space way too long. So I decided to take out my uh, headphones. I had a little MP3 player that was allowed for missions in Iraq. And uh, I listened to this song that was sweeping the nation at the time. This 2008, oh, a hit song. Song you guys know very well. Song that every time I hear it, I'm immediately brought back to Fallujah. Can we play that song, please?
That was it. Just that song. Well, every time I hear that song today, whether I'm driving or whether I'm in a library or whether I'm preaching in West Milford, not this song, uh, Poker Face by Lady Gaga was sweeping the nation. So every time I hear that song today, I'm immediately brought back to Fallujah. Do you guys have songs like that? If I were to play some more songs for you, would it immediately take you back in time? I have a theory that it will. So here's my second song to play for you. Let's see if you are brought back in time by the second song. Oh, yeah, easy, right? Which Christmas? Last Christmas? This Christmas? When you were five? We've been playing that song every Christmas, every year. Were you in Sears before it closed, listening to the song in the speakers? I was. Every time I hear that song, I think about my time in Sears with my mom as a five-year-old. We play that song all the time to remind us of past Christmases, right? This next one is a little risky. I don't know if I can convince all of you that it'll take you back in time. But I have a third song for you. Maybe it'll take you back. Ooh, 1980s. What's a computer? The internet? This is new. This is awesome. Sweet dreams. This is awesome. I didn't under, I've been in um, the East Coast for like four years now. And I've heard the song before, but I've never understood it until I came to your wonderful New Jersey and had a 4th of July with you. This fourth song takes me back. Ooh. Green grass, barbecues. Someone's on a jet ski over there on the lake. Nice. <laughs> the glory days, right? I don't know what glory days we're thinking of when we hear that song, but that song probably takes you back to maybe a picnic or a barbecue or maybe the 4th of July like it takes me back. I've noticed a lot of Christians like to uh, relive the glory days of their faith. They like to reminisce about when they were passionate and on fire for God. Like when they think about those days, oh, I can see the smile on their face when they first accepted Jesus or when they were first baptized. They were so hungry for the gospel. They were so hungry for scripture that every day they read the Bible, five chapters a day, 10 chapters. They would pray all night. They would, they'll tell me stuff. When their hearts broke for a certain people group, they would stay up all night praying for them. Or maybe the first time they were filled with the Spirit. I was talking to Veronica not too long ago, maybe, what, 20 minutes ago? I was in an African-American church. Everybody was going crazy. It was awesome. Someone interrupted it, and we had to stop because the schedule said we had to, you know, move on to the next part of the service. But, like, I felt the Holy Spirit. He, he, his presence was here. It was great. And when I reminisce about, like, being filled with the Spirit. I think about that, that day, that glorious day. I live in the past. A.W. Tozer is a, a man in our denomination. He's a guy that wrote a lot of really good books. And he wrote one about the Holy Spirit, uh, talking about our, pres our experience with him. And he asked a really cool question that I hope sticks with you tomorrow when you're washing dishes. Would a meal eaten by Peter in 33 AD nourish me today? What does any of this have to do with our sermon series? Well, if you have been joining us, we just finished the book of James. Very practical book. Love James. But now we're going into the summer. We're having a new sermon series about revival. So what does any of this have to do with revival? Well, we're going to talk about it a little bit. I'm here to introduce the sermon series just a little bit, just to talk about the what of revival, the how of revival, and the why of revival. And I'm getting too animated, so I'm trying to chill out. You can kind of tell, right? The first thing that we need to know about revival is that it's relational. 
lot of times when we talk about revival, we think it's like um, in a big prayer tent, and that's where revival happened, you know? Or um, it hits you like a, like a bolt of lightning, and you just, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you just carry on like that for the rest of your life. Or it's some worship night. We think about revival in the sense of a one-time thing. Our passage today that we're going to focus on is hopefully something that we can anchor to when we think about revival. I actually don't have it with me, but 2 Chronicles chapter 7 should be on the screen now. This is where we're going to land for our revival series in the beginning. I'll read it with you. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord, as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Then one night, the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops and send plagues among you. Then, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. I know you guys love Second Chronicles. I know that's one of every, like most Christians, that's their favorite book. But for those of you who don't find it your favorite, let me remind you of what's happened. Abraham was given a promise by God that his descendants would be a great nation. And when God makes a promise, you know that it's going to come true. This passage that we're looking at in Second Chronicles is the fulfillment of that promise. King David has fought many wars. He's increased the border. He's increased their military might. Israel's global influence, Israel's economic prosperity. And now Solomon, at a time of peace, wants to have a permanent house of worship to God. A permanent place. This is a place in the middle of Africa, uh, Europe, and Asia. They all come together in this one country. And in this one country, there's going to be this giant temple. It's going to be a world wonder. It competes with the pyramids and with the hanging gardens of Babylon. This world wonder is a permanent house of worship. And the layout of the temple, it's supposed to depict the throne room of God. And we learn in the future that the temple looks like you and me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? In this passage in 2 Chronicles, King Solomon wants to consecrate this temple to God. Do you guys know what consecration means? I had to look up the definition. It means to set something or someone apart exclusively for God. To set something or someone exclusively for God. When we became followers of Christ, he forgave us of our sins. He cleansed us with his blood. He gave us a new identity. And he consecrated us to God. Usually when I'm telling my friends that he cleansed us with his blood and they don't know Jesus, or I'm telling my family, it sounds weird, right? In fact, even as I tell you, it sounds kind of weird to describe cleansing by the blood of someone else. So I have this fun little example that I'd like to show you. See this Lego man? One of my best friends gave it to me. He represents us. He represents how God sees us. And we have a lot going on. We have hopes, we have dreams, we have people we love, we have quirky things about our identity gifts and skills, but when God sees us, he doesn't just see that, 
He sees our, um, our imperfections. He sees our sin, the things that corrupt us and the thoughts that we have that are not great. And because of it, we're separated from God. And this, Coca-Cola, that I don't drink, so it's easy for me to waste it, represents Jesus' blood. Quick note, if you have a problem with this illustration, please bring it up to Pedro, um, text or call him, but make sure to do it late at night because he works in the day. So this is what I think about when, when we're talking about being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. God still sees us, but you know what he sees first? Jesus' blood. He purchased us. The wrath of God that was meant for us, that he would normally look on us and see us and our sins, he doesn't see us. He doesn't see our sins anymore. He sees the blood of Jesus. What the uh, Marines thought they purchased in Fallujah Jesus definitely shed his blood for us. Jesus made the first step. He took the first step to have a relationship with us. He wanted a relationship with us. He wanted us to draw near to him. And he purchased us with his blood. He cleansed us with his blood. In the same way that Solomon is dedicating the temple to God. In the same way that he wants to consecrate the temple to God. Jesus has done that for us. He set us apart. A set us apart from sin. Set us apart to God. I think John speaks to that in John chapter 1. John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, Look, the Lamb, behold, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He set us apart for God, set us apart from sin. There's another scripture I want to bring up to you because I'm, I'm doing something. You might not be able to see it, but that's because I'm really calm right now, so you're not seeing what's actually happening. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God proves to us how he loves us. There's a question posed here. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How does God show us that he loves us? Present tense question. Past tense answer. We look to the cross. We look to the moment when he consecrated us for him. The temple of God was being consecrated by Solomon. And Solomon, in this scripture, even shows that when we pray to God, he says, we are called his people. If my people were to call out to me, those who identify themselves by my name. Do you guys want to know what the what of revival is? It's relationship. It's not a one-time thing. And this, this passage, Siobhan, I don't know if it's still up, but this passage in, in, Chronic, in Second Chronicles, if you're aware of Israel's history, this is like a really cool part of Israel's history, like Pax Israel, the height of their glory. Again, I said their military might was strong, their economic prosperity was awesome, their borders were secure, their, their global influence stretched to Africa and to Asia and up in Europe. But if you, if you pay attention to Israel's history, slowly, year after year, decade after decade, they slowly they take the blessings of God, which they appreciate, and they slowly start to think, maybe this is my effort. Maybe this is because of me. Maybe I created the economic prosperity. Maybe we as a people are militarily strong. They slowly got distracted, started focusing on themselves, their ego, their reputation, their careers. They slowly pushed God out of their schools, 
and out of their communities and out of their thoughts and out of their actions. The more I talk like this, the more I'm wondering and, and figuring out why we want to talk about revival, right? Because our nation needs revival right now. Because I totally see that. We push God out of our schools and out of our communities, out of our actions, out of our thoughts, out of our hearts. The way that Israel's history ends is that temple is destroyed and the people of God are carried away as slaves. So now that we have the what of revival, let's talk about the how of revival. The thing that I'm going to miss most from James is how practical he was in the scriptures. And this is the practical part of how we can have revival come to us. In 2 Chronicles, I want to underline uh, one of those verses that says, if my people who are called by my name who represent me, you get the gist, if they humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. We can't manufacture revival in West Milford, but God gives us a play-by-play -play on what kind of posture we can take. He says if we humble ourselves. That word in the Hebrew, humble, means to bend the knee. I'm not going to pretend like I know Hebrew, but I looked it up at something like Hanuk or something like that, to bend the knee, to have the kind of posture to recognize like, hey, this wasn't because of my efforts. This wasn't because of my intellect. This is God. And when we come to God sincerely and we pray, again, we can't manufacture revival, but we can speed it up. We can increase its coming. So I have some scripture for you. John 6, Acts 17, 2 Corinthians 4. I was going to have someone else read it, but I'll read it really quickly. Maybe brush over it. This is a strategic way of how we can see revival come. The how of revival is prayer. John 6, 4, 44 says, no one can come to the Father unless the Father has enabled him. You guys see that Acts 17 says, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of the sage has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And Matthew 9 says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Can you think of someone that you know, that you love deeply, who doesn't know Jesus? Can you think of that person? God loves when we pray scripture back to him. So if we took this scripture and we prayed it back to him, just imagine when I think about someone that I love and care about that doesn't know Jesus, I think of my little brother, Jake. So if we get the next slide, please. If we took those same scriptures and we prayed them back to God, that's the how of revival. That's the relying on him to see Christ glorified and to see relationship happen. God, Lord, please draw Jake closer to yourself because that's what you told us. That's how you instructed us in your word. I pray, God, that Jake would seek to know you. God, I ask you prevent Satan from blinding. I ask that you prevent Satan from blinding Jake to the truth. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. God, please send more reinforcements to my brother. And it's not just Jake, right? It's the people you care about. It's the people that we can pray for and diligently, sincerely, humbly come to the Father and seek his face for the how of revival is through prayer and it doesn't rely on us my grandfather one day uh, he drank a lot got into a car accident broke his uh, his neck so he couldn't move 
And for the rest of his life, he relied on my mom and my grandmother and volunteer nurses. And he, today for me, serves as a great example of what prayer looks like. He really could do nothing. And I don't think that's, uh, oh, he lost the ability. I think he lived in the reality of what he really could do. You and I can do nothing apart from the Father. Every time we see revival happen, it's not because of our clever words. It's not because of our timing or our humor. It's because of God. We rely on God to see revival happen. So he's right. We got the what, which is relational. We have a relationship. That's when we deepen our, we, the glory days are today. They're not yesterday of revival. The how of revival is through prayer. We can't manufacture it, but we can speed it up. And now the why of revival. If you're trying to memorize scripture, 2 Corinthians 7 is where we anchored, right? We're going to look at Revelation chapter 7. Cool. <laughs> cool, right? Revelation chapter 7 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. The same Lamb that John the Baptist pointed to and said, look, it takes away the sin of the world. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The reason I want to bring this to your attention is because I said the temple of God back in Second Chronicles, the layout, it, layout of it, the foundation, was supposed to depict the throne room, right? And we have in the Bible a picture of the throne room. Every tribe, every nation, every people group. Can you imagine it? Can you see what John saw? If you were to close your eyes for a second, could you close your eyes for me? Just try and picture that for me. If you read Revelation, you'll see that God is seated, seated on this throne and there's a ton of angels worshiping him, calling him holy day and night. And his appearance, it's, it's too hard to like, um, there's nothing like it. Jasper and carnelian and precious gemstones are the closest thing we have to describing the beauty of God. He's surrounded by a rainbow and before him, aside from the angels who are already extremely intimidating, every people group, every country, every skin tone, every language that you can think of. What did John see? John saw people from Jamaica. He saw people from India. John saw mothers. He saw widows. He saw women that didn't get married while they were on earth. John saw farmers and football players. He saw Marines that gave up their life to serve their country. He saw Iraqi Muslims who used to follow Islam, but before they died, they gave their lives to Christ. John saw Japanese people and Afghanis. He saw that wonderfully stubborn group from West Milford that didn't give up on their town. John saw you. John saw you. Saw me. Saw me. Saw you. What's crazy, today's July 11th. John saw people 
in the throne room of God that currently, as of this year, don't know Jesus. The why of revival. You know that sneaky thing I've been doing this entire sermon? I've been playing with time. I mean, it was really obvious in the beginning, I think. I manipulated time by making you hear music and brought you back, right? And then I brought you all the way to Abraham where God promised him something. Took you all the way to Revelation. John the Baptist, King Solomon. I love thinking about time in unique ways. Here's a way that I hope sticks with you forever. Evangelism, missions, revival. So for a limited time only. You and I are eternal. God is eternal. Sharing the gospel with non-believers is not eternal. We don't have a lot of time left to do this. And we can no longer live in the glory days of our faith. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up because I think that's how you end the sermon. But as I do that, I need to recognize in front of you that I can't bring revival on my own. I need your help. So let's pray. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.